0: Grab your Bible, turn to Revelation 3. We'll read our text this morning, and then you can have a seat. Revelation 3. Revelation 3, and we'll finish things up. The seventh church, Laodicea. Sorry, I got to say that right. So, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So as we finish up our study and our look at the seven churches today... I want to remind us of how we are to see them. These were literal churches that Jesus had a word specifically for them at the end of the first century. They are also churches that are prophetic for us. Every generation has had these churches in their midst. Thirdly, they are also to be personal to us in regard to lessons to be learned from these to understand what we need to know about church, what we need to avoid about church, what we need to embrace about church. So this last word to this seventh church is harsher than the other six. As Jesus, we will see today, has nothing to say positive about Laodicea. A couple of weeks ago with Sardis, Sardis had a lot of issues, but Jesus says to them, but you still have a few. That are in your midst that have not soiled their garments. So, those Sardis had a lot of issues, and there were just a handful of people that were faithfully walking with God. It appears from what Jesus says here about Laodicea is that nobody is walking with God in the church. And I believe this starts with leadership and it works its way down. There is nothing that Jesus sees about this church that deserves any kind of recognition. Or any kind of praise. Some have said as we get to the seventh church that we have moved from the apostles to the apostasy of the church. There are many who read Revelation 2 and 3 in a prophetic sense in this way. That they were representations of the eras of the church from the apostles time all the way to the very end time until tribulation came. And those who believe to understand Revelation 2 and 3 in this light, would say that Revelation 3 at the end with Laodicea here, this is a representation of the end time church. This is the kind of church that Paul writes about. Then in the last days, people will no longer be interested in listening to truth that comes from the scripture. But if you'll remember what Paul says to Timothy, but they will gather teachers to tell them what they want to hear, that it'll just be tickling of the ears um, so that people in the end days will do that and so many people believe that this is the case that as we look at this church this is what the church for the most part will look like there will always be a remnant right we've talked about that there will always be a remnant of true people walking with the Lord but some believe that Laodicea is a representation of the apostasy of the church at the end of the age So again, as I said, there's nothing positive to say about Laodicea. And we will see that there are principles here that need to be known by us, and they need to be avoided by us. The Laodicean mindset is one that is concerned about yourself, not anything else. We will see in a moment that they're bragging. They've got a false perception of themselves. It's all about themselves, and they are centered in that way. And so this kind of church is one that's all about making sure everybody's pleased, everybody is happy. By the way, part of my call in my life is to offend you sometimes on Sunday morning. It is. That's what preaching does. The Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so if a church is being faithful and if a teacher is being faithful to what the Scripture says... You will be offended sometimes inside the church, hopefully in the right kind of way. That the offense would come to bring change and transformation. And Jesus is going to call Laodicea to repent. He's going to give them opportunity to not continue in the way that they are. But this is a church that is about pleasing self. It ignores the word of God and the will of God altogether. It is a me-centered church. The great duty is to preach, to praise, and to promote, and to proclaim Jesus. That's what the church is to be about. Jesus is to be on the throne of the church. And no one is qualified to take his place, right? No one is. So he sits on the throne of the church, and he's not to be substituted for any kind of man-centered thought, Any kind of other thing, he sits on the throne of the church, and so we yield to him to follow him. So let's begin to walk through this so that we can see fully what Jesus has to say here. The first thing that I want us to be reminded of is the first part of verse 14, is that this is now the seventh time that Jesus has addressed the angel of this local church. Angel means messenger. So this is some kind of a point person In Laodicea, that this message has come to, particularly to draw their attention to the role that they are to have in leading this church. And so once again, for the seventh time, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church, and he's done this again in in six other places, six other names, now a seventh in Laodicea, write these words. One of the great blessings a local church can have is this. Is when the pastor and the elders deeply, highly regard the Word of God. And they are teachers of it and proclaimers and everything about the structure of the church is centered around that idea of teaching the truth and guiding people in the truth. And when the leaders of the church are that way, the church members and the people who come and serve there are the great benefactors of that, that the leadership treasures the truth of God's Word. But there's a flip side to that, and the flip side is this, is it is terrible for a local people to have leaders who do not value the glory of Christ and the wonder of the word of God that he has spoken to us and that scripture has come to us. That is a huge detriment that would come upon a local church. Back in the spring, we were walking in the W-4 through the book of Hosea, a very significant book. Um, Hosea is prophesying and speaking on God's behalf, speaking God's words to the northern kingdom. The Assyrian kingdom has not come in, and the ten tribes to the north are going to be scooped up by the Assyrians, and they will be scattered among the nations. Judah will be left. But Hosea is prophesying... To the northern kingdom and particularly he is prophesying to their priests the priests were in great neglect of their duty and their call so in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 listen to these words Hosea says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you priests speaking to the priests because you have rejected knowledge And I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also, I also will forget your children. So this is 800 years before the coming of Christ. There's a crisis in the northern kingdom. The priests, those called of God, are no longer teaching the word of God. As the people come to the temple, they are doing other things. And people now, for quite a while have not been taught the word it's not been right faith has not been modeled for them and God is holding the leadership in the temple the Levites and the particularly the priests holding them responsible for this so God calls Hosea to speak into this situation that there's a lack of knowledge that has infiltrated the people and it's infiltrated the land and it's Permeated every aspect of it. And so, in the beginning of Hebrews 4, this is what is said Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy, He has an issue with the inhabitants of the land. And listen to what God says There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. But this is what you could see everywhere in the northern kingdom. They're swearing and lying and murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And then God says through Hosea, he says, therefore the land mourns. Have you ever had a moment over the last couple of years and just seeing the devastation that's in our world today and to know that the world is just crying out for all of this to get fixed, that there would be an addressing? And we have had... So much bloodshed in our country in so many different kind of ways, particularly in the area of abortion and unborn children, the bloodshed and the life that has been lost has been insurmountable, millions upon millions of people, no longer citizens of our country. There would be people sitting in these chairs this morning if it hadn't been for abortion, people that would be in our lives. And I think sometimes the land cries out because when the fall of man happened, it threw everything into chaos. And so in Hosea's day, God is calling out. He says, therefore, the land even mourns and all who dwell in it, they languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And then he says in Hosea 4, 4, and yet no, and yet, let no one contend and let no one accuse. For with you, priests, he says, is my contention. And you shall stumble by day and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. And he's, he's talking about there that there's just going to be not growth anymore with the northern kingdom. Because they had continued to rebel and rebel and rebel against God, and so he was going to scatter them among the nations. So I want to remind us this morning of the significant reality that when we gather together on a Sunday morning, when we gather together for life group and student ministry and children's ministry, we need to make sure that the local church has leaders who are intimately focused and deeply focused that the driving force of the church is that God's glory would drive us, his name would drive us, and that we would teach his word, and that his word would, would move us in every kind of way. So it's clear when we read about Laodicea is they had a leadership issue. It appears that even from the pastor down to the people that nobody was really concerned anymore about the word of God. There was a lacking reality about that. And so I want to remind you and I this morning of this truth. If I ever become derelict in my teaching of truth and proclaiming of truth on Sunday morning, you have a responsibility to speak into my life and to work on correcting that in my life. But if you allow me to continue to be derelict you are still going to be responsible for your spiritual growth. You cannot blame me for your lack. And so this was what was happening in in Hosea's generation. The priests failed to do what they needed to do, but the people allowed it. They didn't push back. They didn't make sure that they were moving forward in their discipleship. And so it's not it's there's not an allowance for us to say, well, I, I've been in the church for. 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Been around this a lot and I've just never really had a good Bible teachers in my life. At some point in time, we have to take ownership of our discipleship and our sanctification and we must pursue God. But here at Laodicea, it seems the pastor is not leading, the leaders are not leading, the people are not holding anyone accountable. And so, The reality is this, is that where truth is neglected, truth has originally been rejected. And that's the case with Laodicea. And this is the case in many churches today. There's a great neglect of the teaching of the truth of God. And that comes when people in churches and leaders in churches have begun to reject what the Bible has to say. And they have some kind of substitute that is there. Every Sunday, wherever a church gathers on this planet, it doesn't matter the culture, the language, the people group, wherever it is, inside of a building, under a tree, there has been thinking that has been put in place about what is going to be done when God's people gather. And if Christ is not going to be front and center at that church, then that church is going to misdirect their people you see, a decision needs to be made early on and planned that when we come together, there's going to be one driving focus, and it must be, as Psalm 138 says, God's holy name and God's word, and that they would become the deep-seated passion of a local church. So Laodicea does not have good leadership. The people are confused about what they need to be doing, and that leads to our second thing. So what do they need? What does a church need that has forgotten about the Lord and is relying on themselves? Well, they need to be reminded of who He is. So Jesus gives three things here in the last part of verse 14 to remind them of who He is. And so He says, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So they need a reminder of the real Jesus. There's a lot of talk about Jesus today, but is it to talk about the biblical Jesus and the real Jesus? And this is what Laodicea needed. It needed conversation and reminding of the original Jesus that had been brought to them by someone. We believe most likely because Paul writes in the book of Colossians that the church at Laodicea had never seen Paul's face. So it's possible that believers from Colossae had gone to Laodicea and had started the church that was there. And so Jesus here is sharing with them a reminder about who he is. Let's look at those just for a moment. There were three of them. There's a word of culmination. Seventh church. And Jesus said, these are the words of the amen. So I did it a while ago on purpose. When I said, and everybody said, and what did you say? Amen. Amen. Amen means truth. What's been prayed, what's been said is true. There should be more amens in this church, by the way. I'm just hinting. Amen. We should say that. There should be so be it that when strong truth is proclaimed or it's sung or it's prayed, we should say so be it. Amen. This, so Jesus says, Laodicea, I want to remind you. I am the amen. I am the finality of everything. Everything is coming and moving toward me. He's the final judge. So everything is connected to Christ. This also means that he's the final authority on all matters. And so he comes as God's final word of authority to humanity. Everything is connected with him. Everything is better when we know Him. Jesus is the Father's fullest amen to the deepest needs of humanity's heart. So He's the word of culmination. He's the amen. He's the finality. Secondly, it's a word of confirmation. So He's the end of all things, but He is also the one who is faithful in all things, and He is true, and He's the witness of all of this. So Jesus, being God, has never had a beginning. He will never have an end. We know from the scripture in the New Testament, he is the sustainer of all things. And so so Jesus tells this church that has locked Jesus on the outside of their church that he is the faithful and true witness. Jesus, by the way, comes to us in only one way, in faithfulness and truth, faithful truth. That is how he comes to us. And so Jesus will never dilute the truth of his word. He will never distort what is true to make something more acceptable. For he will faithfully speak and say exactly what needs to be said in every situation. He will be uncompromising. He's not trying to fit in so that he would be liked or affirmed. He's going to be true. He's the the amen. He's the finality of all things. And he's the faithful and true witness. And he's not going to say anything to get new likes and hearts. He is going to just be true to the Father. There was a day that Jesus taught. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 15. And the disciples must have been watching. Jesus had some hard things to say in Matthew 15 that day to the religious leaders. And so in verse 22, they came to him and he said, Hey, Jesus. Hey, did you see the Pharisee's face? Did you know that they were offended and upset with that teaching that you told them? And instead of him going, oh, man, I hate that that happened. Let me go back to them and I'll make it right. This is what he said. He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, it will be rooted up. And so he didn't like make sure everybody was okay with things. He said, here's the thing. I have called people to be grounded in a relationship through me with my heavenly Father. So Jesus is the word of confirmation. Thirdly, he's the creator. This is a word from the creator. The text there says the beginning of God's creation. This is a Greek word, archeo. And it means the origin, the original one, the first one. How did creation begin? Well, Genesis 1 tells us that God spoke. He spoke, and the worlds and living creatures and the universes, everything came into being. And he did this in six days. And so here Jesus is saying, the founder is the foundation. The one who spoke the world into existence, he's the foundation. And so I am the beginning of God's creation. I'm the source of God's creation. And so as the founder of this, I am its foundation. And so as he comes to Laodicea, and he calls them out and saying, who's overseeing your church? Because it doesn't look like that I am because I'm on the outside knocking, wanting to come back in, and you've shut me out of the church. And he's reminding them of who he is, that he needs to be let back in. And he needs to be the head and the guide of the church. And so he is the founder. He is the foundation. And so therefore he is the meaning of it all. And so it's critical to have good leaders. It's critical to know clearly who Jesus is. That he is the center of all things. And then thirdly, in every church, there's a temperature that's inside the church. And I'm not talking about this fresh, cool air that's coming in. I'm talking about hearts. There are three types of temperatures connected to people who claim the name of Jesus. The first one is a burning heart for Christ. Do you all remember the story? The women go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Jesus isn't there. They run back they tell the men that are gathered in the room and they're in hiding, We've, I've seen the Lord, Peter and John, run to the tomb. They're gathered. Now the discussion is out. Jesus is alive. Two guys are leaving Jerusalem on that Sunday morning and they're going to a city called Emmaus. And they're walking along the road and this guy comes up and he joins them. And they walk. I've told this to you before. To kind of know how far they walk. Jesus walked with them on this day. Front of our parking lot, if you know where Belk is, down there at El Dorado in 75, Jesus walks with them that far that day. And Luke 24 tells us that along the way, Jesus went all back to the Old Testament and told them everything in the Old Testament that had been prophesied about him. They get to Emmaus that night. Jesus acts like he's just going to go on ahead. And they're like, no, 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 no. Can you stay with us? So he sits down with them. This whole day, he, he's been hidden from their eyes. They don't know that it, they've spent the whole day with Jesus. And he takes some bread and he breaks it. And when he breaks it, they recognize, oh, wow, we've been with Jesus all day. And just like that, he just disappears. Well, what would you do? You know what they did? their hearts were so burning because they'd been with him all day, they went all the way back to Jerusalem because they had to tell somebody that they'd seen the risen Christ. And they turned to one another before they make their journey back and they say these words, Did our hearts not burn within us when he was opening the scriptures to us today? So there's hearts in the room this morning that are on fire, they are burning, because they love, we love to hear the Word of God proclaimed. There's a second kind of heart that can gather in a room like this, and it's really going to be present in the last days. And it's a cold heart. So Jesus, in Matthew 24, speaking about the context is all of the last days, Jesus in Matthew 24, 12 and 13 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So there's coming a day, if you think the world is cold now, there's coming a day when coldness will permeate most of the planet, just cold hearts toward God. So there's a burning heart for Christ, there's a cold heart for Christ, or there's a third option. There is a lukewarm heart for Christ. This is a heart that's totally indifferent to Jesus. This heart really doesn't feel anything at all for the Lord, except in words. And Jesus is saying to them, give me your cold-hearted hate, or your on-fire heart, But don't offer me some kind of indifferent love that has no passion, no desire for who I am. Think about the indifferent people that we all have in our life. We have them. There's no joy, no enthusiasm, just half hearted in everything. Nobody wants a sports teammate that when the race begins or the game begins, doesn't really care about the outcome. I always wanted teammates who cared about the outcome. Now the outcome may not turn out the way we want it to, but I want teammates that are willing to sacrifice and pay the price to win, and so nobody wants that. Who wants a doctor who doesn't care about the health of a patient that is ill? And so here, is Laodicea, and they don't care about Jesus, and yet they are called a church. Laodicea was in a place in Asia Minor where they had no water source. So in a place called Heropolis, that city, it had hot springs, like think of Hot Springs, Arkansas. They had hot springs. And so for Laodicea to get some water, they built these aqueducts to bring the water from Heropolis down into Laodicea Colossae was not too far away they had natural fresh cold springs and so they built aqueducts to get the cold water to come into Laodicea but the problem was by the time the hot water came from Hierapolis and the cold water came from Colossae by the time it got through the aqueducts it was milky it was dirty it had all kinds of minerals and it was lukewarm kind of like this some of y'all need prayer You like room temperature drinks. And I don't know what's wrong with you, but you like that. How does a drink become room temperature? You just leave it alone, right? And what does it naturally do? It just adjusts to the temperature that is there. And this is exactly what happened in Laodicea. So, what did they adjust to? What's interesting to read about this church, it's not persecuted. It doesn't have any false teaching inside the church. It doesn't have any bad doctrine that's there. It just has adjusted to its city and has become exactly like the water that was brought into it, lukewarm. Give me today, McKinney has, well, I don't know if McKinney has two of them. They have one of them. It's by my house now. This place called H-T-O. Have you been there? Give me that. Ice, great flavor tea, give me that. Give me a good cup of hot coffee, and that's satisfying. But don't give me something that's lukewarm, because it just isn't good. And so Jesus is calling the church here to say this. You're not cold. You're not even hot. You're just like the water that is pumped into your city. And this illustration was designed to force them to kind of wake up and see if they would get things together. So, there were people that were attending church, but there was no heart that they had for the Lord. They had become just like the water. And when one loses their passion for Jesus, an indifference and an apathy arises. No longer were they moved by the cross, no longer were they moved by the lost in the city. Or the word of God. They lived between being on fire for Jesus. Or being totally cold. And they just didn't really care at all. And I think many in our culture today. And even church culture are like the believers in Laodicea. They're no longer moved by the cross or anything else that's there. They are just content to occupy the middle of the road. And to not be passionate for Jesus. Interesting. Interesting. When this happens in a church where Jesus is locked on the outside, you know what happens on the inside of that church? There's a substitute that's made. Some kind of substitute. And this is what was happening here. Because we're going to see in a moment he's outside knocking. And they've left him out and they're no longer interested. And Jesus says, let me tell you what I believe about this. And I don't know why. I guess guess Christians are nice. I guess we're nice, right? Are we nice? Yes, we should be nice. But the Bible translators... Have been too nice with this verse. He's not spitting them out of his mouth. The Greek word literally puking. This is what Jesus thinks about half hearted, indifferent perspective of him in a local church. He will literally throw up. This Greek word here that it's, it's Translated English-wise, spit or spew is a word where we get our English word, emetic. If you know anything about emetics, they are given to people who've uh, maybe tried to commit suicide or they've taken poison. They put an emetic down in them, and it forces everything that's down inside to come back up. And that's what the word means here. And we have softened this, I guess because we're nice, but it should say puke. It should say throw up, because that's exactly what it is meant here. You see, some churches move God in that their faith is hot. Some make him angry by being completely cold toward him. And some churches make him sick as they are lukewarm. The lukewarm life is one where it's not sure, you're not for sure where somebody stands on something. The taste is not good, nor the temperature. This is an apathetic, middle-of-the-road faith. It has no passion and no zeal to it anymore. And likely, it's not real faith. Jesus is not a part of this church anymore. And nobody knows it. He's on the outside. And he's knocking, saying, Hey, do you all want me to come back in? Because I'm willing to come back in. And nobody knows what's going on because they're so focused upon themselves. Lukewarm faith never accomplishes anything. And so a neutral church, listen, in today's culture, in America today, there cannot be, but there is, neutral churches. It needs to be clear where we stand, what we think, what we teach. Again, we're always to be loving and tender and kind, but there are times where we stand and we are unwavering in our uncompromise about what is true. So Jesus finds no refreshment at all in a church like Laodicea. This is a hard place to lead probably this church. If the pastor did have his thing, his his life together, this would have been a hard place to lead. Luke, person is one who has lost his dependence upon God and is trusting in their own provision for life. One of the things that's interesting about Laodicea is this. It was such a rich place that when they had an earthquake, um, most of the other cities that suffered earthquakes in Asia Minor, um, they sought out Rome's help to help them rebuild their city. There was so much money inside Laodicea that when it collapsed they just paid for it themselves and so they have become self-reliant ones that could fix things on their own and that brings us to the fourth thing this morning is there's a deep-seated spiritual self-deception that was a part of this church so Jesus has told them here's what I think about your church but this is what they said about their church So Jesus says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now listen to this, Laodicea means this, the rule of the people. The other six churches had some issues. Two of them didn't. Two of the seven didn't have any issues. Jesus didn't have anything negative to say about two of them. But five of them, he had a lot of things negative to say about them or some things negative to say. But the five of them at least, or six of them at least, had aspects of their church that were about Jesus. Laodicea was all about people, what the people said, what the people want. Their namings rule of the people, and that's exactly what their church became. They would talk like this. Look at me. I'm rich. Look where I live. Look what I have. Look how I can fix things with my money. I prospered. Look how successful that I am. And then they say the phrase, I need nothing. There's nothing that I need because I have money that can fix everything. And so when they talked of their church, they talked about how everything was together and how they didn't need anything, and yet they needed everything that truly mattered. And they were missing it. They were blinded in having a false opinion of who they truly were. You see, a church is to be the Lord's place. As he both built the church where he is the cornerstone And he did so by purchasing the church with his blood. And any time the word church is mentioned, it should therefore mean that the ministries of the church align with the glory of God and the will of God that's revealed in the word of God. The church is not to be a place based on pleasing humanity, but the Lord. So everything must be centered and think and thought about that in light of that. So again, they refuse Rome's help. Rome offered help. Hey, we'll help you rebuild your city. And they're like, no, that's okay. We'll just rely on ourselves. And they refuse. Jesus is teaching that they needed him in every kind of way. All is well, they thought. We've got everything we need. We've got a big budget. We can fund the church. We can fund this. We can do this. Look at all the great people that we have. Who are rich and are prospering and who don't really need anything at all. These are listen to this, It's where it's going to get really really calling county E, calling county-ish. These are a bunch of self-made people trusting their own way and self-sufficient, believing that they can supply what they need based in their money. Remember Aesop's fables? If you've ever read all of that, there's a story of a dog who had a bone in his mouth and he came to a pond. And he put his paws on the shore and he looked at the reflection in the water. As he looked at the reflection in the water, he saw another dog with a bone in its mouth. And he began to think to himself, I want that bone. And so he started growling at the dog who had the other bone, and he lost his bone and didn't have a bone at all. And this is what happens in our lives when we pursue the things of this earth as if they are the thing that is going to fix us and satisfy us. They are not. Some of us in the last several years have lost jobs. All of this reliance on smooth sailing about a number of different things. Some of us have had health stuff. And we need to be reminded that this idea of self-reliance is not going to bring the satisfaction that we need. Satisfaction is going to be grounded in embracing and trusting in the promises of God. And we live in a day and time where self-help Drives everything, does it not? If you hear phrases like this, run, and these are said in churches, found these from churches. How you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. Accept yourself, love yourself, and keep moving forward. If you want to fly, you have to give up what weighs you down. Keep taking time for yourself until you are you again. The only person who can pull me down is myself and I am not going to let myself pull me down anymore. It's all about finding the calm in the chaos. Hey, focus on the good and the good's going to get better. You have your own life. Why waste it focusing on others how about this one a lot of churches do this today come as you are come as you are yeah come as you are but don't stay as you are here's another one one of the best guides to how to be self loving is to give ourselves the love we are often dreaming about receiving from others Here's the last one. Until you value yourself, you won't value your time. And until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. And this permeates the Western church. Making sure that everybody feels okay this morning. Can I tell you one of the most freeing things? It's this. And I'll just admit it to you. I'm a mess. And Jesus has done something with my mess. And that's where we ought to rest. Nobody has it together. And I don't want to give you something that causes you, what, that causes you to look inside your heart to think that you and I have something inside of us that's going to fix us. We do not. But Jesus does. You know what the cross screams? you can't do this yourself, you can't fix yourself, but I can and I've done something about that. This is Laodicea, it is the church of our age where proclamation from platforms on Sunday morning is making sure that everybody's self-esteem is okay. We just would be so much better off to just admit that we don't have it together, none of us have it together. And yet he somehow uniquely in our lives puts us together, does he not? Some of us used to have struggles that for years we wrestled with those things and we just wondered, am I ever going to, I'm a believer, am I ever going to find freedom from that? Or am I just going to be dogged by this? And we look back over our life and we see, boy, he's worked on us. He's chipped away. He's brought a, a strength to our life that we didn't know several years ago and so we can't get caught up in this spiritual self-deception that is grounded in this mindset of Laodicea when we should realize that we're just just Jesus told them we're just wretched, pitiable, poor blind and naked and that's why we need Jesus and so Jesus next tells them with some divine counsel here's what you got to do Laodicea you've got to Make the right investment. You're all about riches of the earth. And I want to say to you, come to me, Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire. What does that phrase mean? He's saying this, come to me for genuine faith. And I will take your faith and I'll refine it by fire. And I will give you riches that you don't know about and that you may not ever have. Have some of you come to the place where you're like, I'm going to have to budget for the rest of my life. I'm never going to have discretionary money. It's just kind of the way that it is. And when you get to a place where you realize that we need to learn to be content with what God has given us and to be faithful with what God has given us, we're okay with what God has given us. That there's not a coveting that comes there. Thinking that we gotta have more, gotta have more. I gotta have a little bit. I've got a little bit more, but then I gotta have a little bit more. And then what happens in that? In that desire to want more, is we we focus on ourself instead of just living and and praising God for what He has given us. And so Jesus tells them, "You come to me, and I and, and buy your gold." And He's not saying buy your salvation. He's saying I have what you need, and I will refine it so that you may be rich with heaven stuff. I know we know this verse, but Matthew six nineteen don't do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what will be there? Our heart. So Jesus says, you come to me, Laodicea, and make the right investment Find life in me. Find riches in me. Secondly, you got to have the right clothing. They're they're like that story, kid story, the emperor with no clothes. They're like, look at us. I don't need anything. I've prospered. I'm a self-made man. I've made it. And Jesus is like, no, you're naked. And you should be ashamed that you're relying on yourself and not trusting in me. And so Jesus says, you come to me and I'm going to give you white garments that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Thirdly, we need the right ointment. We need to have spiritual sight and that can only come in salvation. Do you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? He told Nicodemus, "And if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. Because Nicodemus is like, how do I get back into my mom's room? What, I'm a grown man? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You gotta be born again. And when you're born again, you will see the principles and the truth of the kingdom of God. Laodicea had cooled in their devotion to Jesus. And because they had forgotten their need for him, they had grown too confident, too comfortable, too successful to see how Wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked they were. Their self-reliance was so glaring, but they couldn't see it. They needed Jesus to do something about that. Let's look at the next thing. And I love this. I love what 18 says and I love what 19 says. Bottom line, what does 18 and 19 say to a church that's relying on themselves and has kept Jesus on the outside? You know what it is there? It's a word called grace. You see what he's offering them? He said, You can still come to me and get riches of heaven and to get the garments to cover your spiritual nakedness. And then he says to them, Those whom I love, he's saying to them, I love you, Laodicea. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So do do this. You need to be zealous and you need to repent. So there's a word of tender care that he gives to them, he loves them. He gives them a strong word of caution. I'm going to reprove you. This means I'm going to expose the truth about who you are and there'll be a punishment that's connected with that. And then he gives them a direct correction. He says, I'm going to discipline you. This is a word that means to educate a child as you teach a child when they're younger to learn how to do things. And he tells them, listen, you got to be zealous for me, not zealous about your riches. And so there's a divine work of Jesus that he offers this church. Lastly, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's the promise of a divine door of Christ knocking. It's interesting here that the verbs are in the perfect tense in the Greek, indicating that this is happening constantly. To the churches that have locked Jesus out, they're no longer interested in his glory and his word. It's not taught. They're gathering in his name, but he's not a part of it because he's on the outside of the church and he's knocking continually. It's a present action. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. They have, this is people singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus but Jesus is not inside the building. This is a tragedy. This is Laodicea. This is a life that has kept Jesus out because you don't want to swallow your pride. You want to continue to maintain control about things. And it's, it's interesting as well, as I said a while ago, you know when stability comes in our life? When we surrender control to Jesus, then there's the stability that comes. Instead of, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to make my way. And so Jesus is outside the door knocking to be let back inside of a church. And he's saying, are you willing to let me back in? Those of you who have just preached man-centered sermons, everything about your church is making sure everybody feels good. Nobody has to repent anymore. Nothing is dealt with. Just come as you are, and we'll self-help you to kind of get you through to next week or at least get you to Monday morning, get you through Sunday, and then maybe, maybe it'll be enough to kind of help you on Monday when it starts out. And I tell you, that treadmill, treadmills are the worst things in the world. You don't get anywhere. So much work. And that treadmill of life, it's tragic. And that treadmill of a church, it's tragic that is no longer allowing Jesus to be the dominant one where he should be. And to many American churches and denominations, Jesus is standing at the door, knocking to see if anybody inside is gonna come to the door and say, we want you back inside of this place because it's death in here. And if you don't want anything of Jesus, you are not likely probably a follower of Jesus. I know John MacArthur thinks that the church at Laodicea is a church just full of unregenerate people. Um, I see where he's coming from. Um, I wrestle with that Jesus still calls this place a church and he uses the language, but this place, Laodicea, is not about Jesus anymore, except sometimes with some words. So there's a present action. He's knocking. Saying, does anybody in there want me anymore? Secondly, it's a personal invitation. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and when when that happens in a life or a church, he will step back inside and lead. But I tell you what he's not going to do. He's not forcing the door down. He will let them have what they want. You don't want me? Okay but he's going to stand and knock and he's going to consistently knock. And someone on the inside is going to say, we want you back and we, we hear your invitation and we need you back into this family. We need you back in my marriage. We need you back in my relationship with my children. Jesus, I need you back in the life of our church. There's a famous painting by a guy named Holman Hunt. You probably have seen it before. It's a painting about Revelation 3.20. And it's a picture of Jesus on the outside of a door. It's kind of a cottage-looking building. He's got a lantern. When he first painted it and he began to show it to people, um, somebody came up to him and said, Hey, Holman, you made a mistake with your painting. And he said, What are you talking about? He said, Yeah, look at the door. There's no door handle on it. He said, No, that's not a mistake. That's exactly what the text says. The door handles on the inside. This is not a... This, this has been... Revelation 3.20 has been spiritually abused that it's all about evangelism. That Jesus is... And I do believe he knocks at our heart, but that's not what the text teaches. This is about a church that has kept Jesus out of the church and have substituted Jesus for other things. And that's what the picture is. He's going to consistently knock. He's going to give a personal invitation... And if the door is open from the inside and the church allows him to come back in, or family allows him to come back in and to guide things, then he says he will do this, a personal promise. I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The ancient Greeks enjoyed three meals breakfast, lunch, and then at nighttime, lunch was a heavy one, nighttime was a lighter one, and you would gather around the table and it would be a time for fellowship. And that's the Greek word that's used here. If you'll open up the door, I will come back in. Church that's kept me out, I will come back in and I will fellowship with you. And then he says what he said again, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The conquerors will reign. With Jesus. We are joint heirs with Jesus. So let me finish with this. First question So, what do we need to hear from the Spirit? About a family, about a life, about a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, a church, a denomination that has locked Jesus outside. Well, the first thing is simply this. We've got to come back to Jesus and realize that we are nothing without him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Secondly, a place like Laodicea must do this it must place worship in the fellowship with Jesus, who is the true and faithful witness. Of his eternal word above lights and entertainment and fog machines and climbing walls, etc, 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 I just wonder if he were to come back here and walk into some of the places, what money has been spent to do things inside some churches, if he just wouldn't turn over some tables again so we're going to do this at this church as long as I'm breathing, we're just going to do. Simplicity, where we trust in what has already been said by God. We're not waiting for new words from God. We have everything that we need, and we're going to faithfully walk and teach in that reality. Thirdly, we have got to stop equating material wealth with spiritual blessings. Some of the richest people on the planet are our friends in Nepal and they have nothing. We, it's, a, it's a western curse that's fallen upon the church that we only equate God's blessing if we're not having a budget or we can get this new thing or whatever the deal is. And it's not. We've got, we've got to quit that. This is, this is the mindset of Laodicea. Riches. Are our source of happiness and future, and it's not. Jesus is. So Jesus says, or Peter writes, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A fourth one, we need to ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts so that we see. We can see spiritually what's of him and what's not of him and have a heart of discernment. So let me close with this question. Maybe you have a relative. Maybe you have a friend. And they're at a, you know they're at a Laodicea place and they've been there for a while and you hear them talk about Christianity and it sounds totally different than your version of Christianity How would someone know that they are in a Laodicean church? Let me give you some principles. I'll put these on the internal page. If you can't keep up, they're not going to be up here. Um, Not that you can't write fast, but if you can't keep up, I'm going to go through these. I'll put them out there for you. This is how you know you're in a Laodicean church. Number one, if you hear more about getting material blessings from God than your spiritual blessings in God, then welcome to Laodicea because that's where you you would be if you hear more about sowing financial seed to unleash your greater abundant life here on earth than you hear about the cross and the resurrection and dying to self then that person probably is in Laodicea if you hear more about self-esteem and self-sufficiency and you've got to figure out how to love yourself so that you can forgive yourself then you hear about Christ or again dying to self, then probably somebody is in a church that's just like Laodicea. If you hear more messages whose contents substitute the things of the earth as the answer instead of the Savior as the answer to our lives, then somebody probably is in Laodicea. And a fifth one is this if the worship gathering on Sunday morning focuses more on entertaining and creating more Christian consumers rather than growing godly, God-zealous disciples, then they're probably in a place like Laodicea. And many churches today focus on entertaining the goats instead of feeding the sheep. And while there are great Philadelphia type churches, faithful ones that we talked about last week that are out there, they are becoming rarer in existence and harder to find. And I believe that too many churches have dropped the ball desperately trying to compete with the world's entertainment and desires. You don't have PT Barnum standing in front of you consistently. You just get me most of the time. I'm not that impressive but I know an eternal God that is the answer to everything and I just want to talk about him and I want to proclaim him. See, the church in Laodicea didn't need Jesus anymore. It has substituted Jesus for wealth and pride where it thought we have everything that we need But the problem was is that Jesus was somewhere in the parking lot trying to get in, and nobody wanted him. Do we want him? Do we want him? He is the lover of broken people. Isn't that good? He just loves broken people, and he's the fixer of our lives. That's what the cross was about. So if you're trying to make it, trying to make it, you're not going to make it. But there is one who has made it, and he's made the way. And we must trust in him. And we need more of him and more of him and more of him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.